On this episode of Resi Week, Macintosh has started selling some of their audio products online. Macintosh, the, the audio manufacturer, not the computer. Claire Controls has become a standard for one of the home builders in Arizona. And what's going on with Sharp Displays as they have three suitors looking to take them over. All that and more, next on Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, Episode 4, recorded Monday, February 22nd, 2016. The future of Sharp. Resi Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Draper. This is Resi Week, the weekly look at residential uh, segment of the AV industry. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us this week is Mr. Ted Green from Strategy. How are you, sir? Doing good. Always good to be with you, Tim. All right. Thank you all so much. Also with us, a, a first-timer, so be nice to her. Her name is Delia Hansen. She is from Claire Controls. How are you, ma'am? Doing well. Thank you. She has. Uh, if you're watching the video, she has two lovely guitars behind her, so... Those are very cool. Uh, and last but not least, a gentleman, the last time I saw him, he was in Amsterdam on the show floor of ISE. Head everything at Cedia. How are you, Mr. Vin Bruno? All good. Glad to be here. Thanks, Tim. Have, have you recovered yet? You know, I, I actually uh, got hit with the flu. Oh. And uh, I'm probably at about 90% from recovering from it. Well, thank you for joining us anyway. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So, um, all right. Uh, so let's let's do this. A uh, couple things here uh, we've got going on. First and foremost, um, this is actually a story from from Ted's uh, Ted's publication, Strategy uh, Strata hyphen is that a hyphen 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 G dot com. Um, if you're watching the huh G E E G E E yeah sorry G E E dot com. Um, Macintosh. Uh, and this is not a computer story. <laughs> this is you know the the big. Uh, long time um, specialty audio, right? Um, Macintosh Labs is what they were known as, but but Macintosh in general is what people used to know them as. Um, they are opening themselves up to internet sales. Now, here's the significant part for, for me. Uh, and Ted, we're going to start with you since you're the one that, that wrote the story. Um, quote, unquote, Last week, de dealers were contacted by various Macintosh representatives and informed that the company has decided to authorize sales of a selection of Macintosh models through a limited list of internet retailers. So, Mr. Green, what does this do to a brand that has been built upon this elusiveness and, and this this high end? Yeah, it's a huge story. I mean, I, I broke three big stories last week, shameless plug. But of all of the three that I broke, this is probably the one, that, certainly my stats show, this is the one that had the biggest impact. And the reason it had such a big impact is, number one, the specialty AV business has been going through just wrenching transformations over the last five or ten years. And But the purest of the pure in terms of specially dedicated uh, brands was Macintosh. So this is sort of the you know, the, 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 the last straw for a lot of people. There was a lot of angst from the dealer base. Quite frankly, um, Macintosh did a um, really kind of poor job of letting people know what was going on. I tried to get comments from Macintosh. I tried really hard to get comments from Macintosh. Um, and because there is another, there is two sides to this story. 
certainly there is the pain and agony being felt by uh, many of their specialty AV dealers that feel abandoned now um, because some of the online partners that they chose aren't going to have a big impact, but at least one they chose is going to have a big impact, and that's Amazon.com. Um, but the other side of the story is, because I used to be a specialty AV manufacturer, and, and the fact remains that, you know, uh, contemporary styles of, of um, shoppers um, researching and selecting and even buying products have changed dramatically over the last 10 years. Um, many of us shop online and many of us buy online. And um, there's a direct kind of conflict with one of the uh, basic tenants of specialty AV, which was the shopping experience was part of the experience of buying specialty AV. So they always had very uh, uh, attractively designed showrooms. Um, they've, you know, they had these showrooms tuned for the best quality of sound. They would have a rotating selection of products, and part of the experience is what's necessary really to understand and appreciate and select the right AV product. It doesn't translate well to online sales and the industry has experimented and many brands have experimented and I've, I've covered this same exact experiment another specialty brand uh, Teal Audio a high-end loudspeaker manufacturer um, essentially did the same kind of an experiment and it was a it was a it was a devastating failure for them they ended up having to retreat um, but it's a challenge for the manufacturers because there are fewer and fewer dedicated specialty dealers in the marketplace and um, they have products to sell and they need to find a way to sell their products that is in accordance with the way people want to shop and buy products. So it's a, this is one of those stories that from my perspective was kind of, um, you know, I can see both sides, both sides of this story. It's mm -hmm. a tough situation, but I did feel the deal. I used to be a AV specialty dealer. So I, I really felt the dealer's pain as well. It was uh you know, it was um, it was quite emotional. Some of those dealers. I mean, some of them was just raw, uh, unfettered anger. I couldn't print what they were saying, um, <laughs> and and some was just sadness and just like it's the end of an era. So it was a very uh, interesting story. Now, by the way, I'm probably going to do an update on that story this week because about three hours after my article was posted. Um, even though I could never get them to comment to me, uh, Macintosh actually did put out a statement uh, that went to all their dealers because they'd only been calling a handful of their dealers that went to all their dealers that gave some of the background I just gave to you and sort of explaining why they needed to take this step. And as painful as it was for dealers, um, Macintosh did take um, care to try to protect their business. They only picked a small subset. Uh, it's only 12 SKUs. They have many, many more than that. Um, they have map agreements in place. Um, most of the dealers they selected for online were uh, online uh, web properties that focus on high-end, especially AV products. So they did a lot of things right to try to minimize the impact of this. Um, but, you know, um, it's a tough situation. Well, and it, Delia, I'm going to bring you in on this, not specifically about Macintosh, but talking about dealers. From from you know either Claire controls or, or or looking at this story from from afar, how do you do that? How do, how do you take care of the dealers? Because it, you know Ted and and Macintosh is right. The consumer in general has changed the way they typically like to shop, right? And this is actually one of the conversations that I had more than once on the show floor of ISC two weeks ago, was figuring out how to do that, right? How how to 
um, manage expectations and manage where the the clientele are going to at least browse and shop versus in, in, in keeping that in mind as well as trying to make sure that your dealers are still taken care of that's going to be a really tough thing to balance in the near future because you've got an audience that doesn't really believe a product exists anymore unless you can go find it on the internet yeah. it it doesn't exist. It, it either isn't good enough or isn't what they're looking for, and they'll keep looking until they find something that fits within their framework of what they expect. And I think with, because I used to sell high-end audio as well, a long time ago, the Martin Logan speakers and big giant tail amplifiers and the works, and it was an experience thing, and the person would fall in love in front of you and then drop a lot of money yeah. and then experience that in their own home. And to be able to just look at the web, you don't get any of that. So it's a completely different experience. But I think for Macintosh, it has to be something that they needed to do to get a little bit more of a presence. Because as Mr. Green was saying, I mean, there are fewer and fewer high-end audio shops out there. What, Where are you going to go to find this product? You've got to be able to put it out there and be able to, to show people that it's available. Um, with with us, with Claire, same thing. I mean, we're going into the mainstream market. Mainstream people expect to be able to buy on the Internet. And the only way we've been able to figure out how to do that is to actually um, give some of the, the profit that the dealer would have made selling the product themselves. We'll be able to uh, associate the project with the dealer who bought it. So if a homeowner goes online and once we do finally get to the point where we can sell directly to the homeowner, We'll actually be able to give the profit back to the dealers, so it doesn't really matter if they buy it from us or from them. Oh, wow. wow, that's a huge deal. Uh, so, you know, Tim, if I can just jump in real quick, you know, Tim, on AV Week last week, you did one of my stories. I had written a story about um, changing trends yes. in B two B sales, um, uh, where um, a million more B two B sales rep and uh, distributor salespeople positions are going to be eliminated. You know, it's actually a related story to this story. Mm. And what, what, what brought me to that story was reporting I did for an article I did for Residential Systems on the rise of the brand portal. So many manufacturers, I don't know, maybe Claire controls one of them, but so, yeah. many, many, so many manufacturers have rolled out brand uh, portals to facilitate uh, integrators being able to directly purchase the products uh, quickly and conveniently uh, right on their website. And when I first approached that story, I thought the story was going to be about manufacturers trying to shift business away from their reps because it's more convenient and more efficient for them. But when I actually was reporting that story, I spoke to probably about a dozen integrators. Um, and the integrators told me that um, for most of their business for most of their daily in and out business they don't need to speak to a rep and if they're constructing a system and they have say 10 or 12 um, brands um, that they need to buy products from they don't want to call 10 or 12 reps they don't want to set up appointments or try to order over the phone they'd rather just flip amongst the portals and enter their orders um, your guests on AV we kind of missed one of the points of that they, they sort of thought that I was suggesting that the rep sales force is going away. Didn't didn't mean that at all. What what the article meant to suggest was that there's a reprioritization going on, where the daily normal run and gun kind of business, um, it's it's easier and more convenient. And frankly, the dealers prefer 
to buy this way um, by going onto your portal. But they still need reps to speak to, um, to either learn about new items or new opportunities. So there's still a role for the rep. It's just shifting uh, a little bit. And the role of the rep is shifting a little bit, too. They have to be a little more professional. They have to be more consultative. And not just I'm going to show up this month because it's time for me to collect your order. They have to add value. But it was it was more along the lines of um, shifting where the contact point on at at the time of purchase is. Is that what you're saying? Uh, it was it was recognizing that not every time an integrator needs to buy, uh, he needs the same process. If it's a, you know, we call it the custom installation industry, but the fact is many integrators devise a set of products that work well for them, and they're just ordering that over and over and over again. They don't need to talk to a rep every time. I had them tell me, you know, I hate talking to the rep because he comes over and he wants to talk about the game last night or he wants to show me pictures of his kids, and I don't have time for this. I'm too busy. Right. And so they want to just go on a portal and they want order. But if they have a question or a problem or an issue or a dispute, or they want to negotiate a price, or they want to look at a new series of products, then they need a rep, and they need a very informed rep. They need a rep that really knows the in and out of the line and that can answer those questions. And, and it's all lines, not it's just all the lines that they carry. Go ahead, Delia. Right. It's, it's just let me, one, one point real quick. It's, it's all about restructuring your approach to sales, not a one-size-fits-all, but to develop essentially a three-stage sales process to meet the integrator's need for that particular interaction, which most of the time, maybe 60, 70, maybe even 80% of the time, the portal is the best way for him. It's fast, it's efficient, it's easy. He knows what he wants, he just needs more. That's what that story was about. Okay, mm -hmm. very good. All right, Ven, from, from uh, taking it back to, to Macintosh for a second and, and even about dealers in general, from a, an industry standpoint, um, you know, how, how are manufacturers, um, suppliers, rep firms taking care of the dealers and how should they? Right. Well, I mean, from my point of view, I would like to see uh, Macintosh uh, somewhat protect those uh, of their dealers that have built out showrooms. Uh, Ted, do you have any, you know, are there any uh, answers that Macintosh provided on that? Because these uh, guys have invested millions of dollars in some cases in their showrooms. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, Vin. And the, and, and the fact is that there may, be, there may be a layer of information I've not been able to develop yet at Macintosh. I wouldn't be surprised if they made some form of accommodation because it was clear to me that they didn't just say, okay, we're blowing open the doors on online sales. They thought about this. They attempted to develop a process or a strategy that would minimize the impact on their dealers. But you're absolutely right. Some of these dealers have invested a lot of money into building a beautiful showroom, and many of them have significant quantities of Macintosh products on display. Right. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, go ahead. We hope that Macintosh is going to use this as a farming type thing, you know, seed the market with it. It should be able to get them email addresses, IP addresses, contacts that they can then shift to the brick and mortar stores in those locations. I mean, with how well you can track technology and who's popping in where, looking at what, you know, getting purchasing products, they should be able to use this as a big um, additional sales tool. I mean, oh if God. they can distribute it to the people who are locally around, the people purchasing the products online, you might be able to upsell to, to amplifiers and get them in to actually listen to stuff. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, in fact, they have a dealer locator on their website, and I think it's quite probable 
that you're going to attract people on Amazon or one of these other websites, and the model that they're showing is not exactly what they want, but they're interested in Macintosh, so they're going to go to their local dealer to find out more about it. Or so they're going to go to Macintosh, wanna... or they're going to go to Macintosh's website, and you know find the exact one they're looking for, and hopefully you know do the dealer search. And I exactly. thought it was very exactly. interesting that everything was temporarily out of stock. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now that's a really great way to get your name out there without actually selling product. That's the, right. that's the Nintendo ploy. You know, only make a hundred, and then you know, the the uh, the demand will far exceed supply. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's let's do this. And, and I typically do not do press releases it's just it's personal preference uh professional <clears throat> preference i guess uh but this one i'm going to um not just because it's delia because she's on here but it was a pretty cool story uh this is from claire controls fulton homes uh arizona's largest uh home builder <sighs> has selected claire controls as the smart home standard for 500 homes that's a quote from uh, one of the guys from from fulton um, the, in the industry has made smart home technology confusing. I'm going to ask Ben about that. Instead, some of our customers aren't up on the latest technology, so we don't want to alienate or talk over their heads, said Dennis Webb, Fulton Home Vice President of Operations. Claire makes their options simpler by providing practical, affordable packages that offer home buyers smart home technology that is easy to use and understand. All right, Delia. How on earth do you, as a manufacturer, manage a deal that gets you into 500 homes? You have to be hands-on, that's for sure. Okay. So um, the first thing that we did was there there happens to be a dealer, a low-voltage integrator, that's already working with Fulton Homes. It's iWired. Uh, so we sat down with both iWired and Fulton Homes. And what we did is we asked them, what's the average price? What's your average upsell? What's your target? Because I don't know if you guys know this, but there's actually a target upsell rating for a new home purchase. And you don't go over that because they're not going to get approved for that mortgage amount to be increased over X percentage. And you don't want people defaulting on those. So you have to stay within a certain parameter. And that includes your countertops, your kitchens, your bath, your everything accessories, including home automation. That tends to be no more than 10 or 11% of the total value of the home. So whatever it is you're quoting, all of your packages need to fit in there along with everything else that they're going to sell. And you know that they're going to get upgraded flooring. And you know that they're going to get countertops. And you know they're going to get a bunch of other stuff. So you're looking at taking up no more than, say, five, $6,000 with all of your packages combined. And when you sit down with the builder and the low voltage guy and you look at each other and you say, do you understand that everything you're building cannot cost more than 6,000 bucks? And you all nod your head and then you start building packages that fit within that. And then you get with Fulton and you say, all right, what are the sizes, the, the bite-sized chunks of products that people like and find the most compelling? And they'll tell you it's safety and security, it's access, it's being able to monitor their home while they're not there. And so you build two or three packages that specifically address that, and you start there. And then you say, what's the next thing that's most important to them? And they'll tell you, I don't know, lighting control and being able to shut lights off at the end of the day and, you know, music. So you write, build another package that fits in with those two entire pieces, and you come up with the price points that make it correct. And what you end up doing is reverse engineering. Instead of building a package that does all of these wonderful things and coming up with a price at the end, 
you're building a package that hits a price point you need to hit in order to hit the right um, buzzwords with the customer and the right price points to fit within what their expectations are. And so your 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 design build it's an architectural term instead of just building from a dream. Once you get that all into place, that's that's part number one. Then you have to get them to decide what their margins are going to be, how much money they both want to make, and they do all that big battle and war and go back and forth to fight over one or two points of margin. Once you have that all figured out, then you have to figure out a way to sell it within their design centers. So we work with the design center staff to train them on the product. And this is why our kiosk was so important that we displayed at IBS this year. It's a plug and play piece. It's all one unit. It delivers complete. You literally just plug it into the wall and put it on your internet connection and you're able to show all five of the packages. And we happen to have videos already built that say, you know, never enter a dark home again, be able to see who's at your front door, uh, motion activated cameras, record who's there, you know, all these lifestyle benefits, let your kids in if they forget their keys. And the videos are all hosted on YouTube, so we can update them whenever we want to and make sure that they stay up to date. And the consumer can actually see them just by tapping <coughs> on the iPad. So the, we, there's very little training involved with the salesperson. They can literally walk up to the demo, press one button, and it plays the video, and then all of the automation happens, like the door lock unlocks, and the security system arms, and then disarms, and the lights go on and off. And so the customer can see all of these things happening without having to spend hours and hours researching, learning, you know, trying to figure out what it is that they want to buy. You just say, oh, yes, those three things are important to me. Oh, it's $985. That seems like a great deal. Yes, I'll take package number two. Wow. Holy cow. All right. Okay. It's a big thing. It, it's a big thing. And it's, it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a lot of relationships. It's a lot of back and forth. Um, months. Months. months I'm, literally. I'm, I'm, months. I'm certain. Yeah. Um, then we'll start with you and, and then we'll get to Ted. Uh, first right. question is, first, it, this is really cool. Secondly, yes. though, um, to to the the the, uh, the 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 man from Fulton's point, um, saying that that we we've kind of made uh, this segment uh, a little bit confusing. How do we yes. not? I mean, is it is it stuff like this, packages like this, relationships like this, where we can say, you know, Mister and Mrs. Homeowner, this this is package A, B, and C. How how do we make it not? How do we make it a little simpler? Well. You know, uh, first of all, as soon as I read the press release, I sent uh, Delia a way to go email. I was in my room in Amsterdam saying, hey, let's go pop a champagne and uh, celebrate. So congratulations, Delia. Um, but, you know, what we're finding is that there's such a wide gap between, you know, what a homeowner knows and what a, a custom installer knows. And uh, so Delia, I know, is the master, having worked with Delia in the past, that she's the master of simplifying uh, the very complex. But uh, as an industry, we haven't done a very good job of, of simplifying the technology that we offer. So there, there's that problem uh, that exists today. So kudos on the, um, uh, on the packages, Delia. But let me ask you this. Are the guys at Fulton as astute at upgrading to home technology as they are flooring? Not <clears throat> What's that? Not even close. They are so much better at floors and cabinets and countertops. 
Uh, they understand it. I mean, it's really easy to understand. You're looking at something and asking, what do you think is going to look better in your home? And people already understand it. I mean, it's simple. Right. Technology is complicated. So what we did is we tried to take all the technology out of it. And now it was, these are five things that this small package does specifically related to one idea. So it, it makes it into bite-sized chunks. Instead of trying to describe home automation as making your lights and your climate and your door and your door lock and all of these things, it becomes a very big idea very quickly. If you take it to small bite-sized chunks, this is how it's going to make you feel more secure at home. It's going to allow you to have personalized codes to get into your, your home. It allows you to see who's at the front door before, you know, while you're not there. And it allows you to know that your garage door is always closed even when you're not home. You know, these are three things that people experience on a daily basis and know that these are important to them. And mm -hmm. then that is, the, you're done with that idea. And once they nod their head and they say, I understand that idea, you can move on to another idea. Mm -hmm. hmm. When you try to explain the whole world of a home and every system that's on it and how they can all work together, that's too many ideas. As an right. So in this particular case, does, does the homeowner uh, have an option of zero home automation or does it, do they get at least some home automation with the purchase of Fulton Home? Yeah, that was the key. So Fulton went base standard with the smart home thermostats, all of them in the whole house. So you get the app, you get the widgets, you get um, the ability to, to make your away home vacation and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that comes as, as a, as a baseline and then they can yeah. expand on that. Uh, well, I think that's go ahead. huge that part of it. That's huge because at least they're getting in with something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, Mr. Green, uh, same kind of question to you. You, you've covered this industry for a long time. How, how do we make it simpler for folks? Uh, stuff like this where you just baseline in, into a, a new home? Okay, so a couple of comments. Uh, number one, this deal is remarkable. However, if we went back to 2005, 2006, deals like this were happening all the time. That's when housing was growing like crazy. Um, and there were a lot of these kinds of deals where integrators and, uh, and or manufacturers through integrators uh, worked with production home builders or other home builders to install systems. Um, and uh, what's remarkable is that for uh, a few years now, as the housing bubble burst, uh, a lot of these kinds of deals went away. So I, I view this as kind of a very important sign that, um, you know, that there's finally some growth back in the industry. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a one-off right now, but, it, but, but it's a good sign. It's a good signal that things are moving in that direction. As far as, uh, you know, this is the, the, more directly to your question, which is uh, how do we make things simpler? Um, you know, it's, it's one of the challenges of our industry. I think one of the reasons why this deal came together is that Claire Controls was probably one of the best options for exactly this kind of package. Claire Controls is known for being a very cost-effective solution, but also Claire Controls, and correct me if I'm wrong, Delia, um, is uh, one of the companies that has paid particular attention to their user interface. So they have a friendly, easy user interface, which really facilitates exactly this kind of deal. And I actually think that Claire Controls is a little bit at the front edge of a new wave of um, uh, awareness in the industry that, um, you know, 
that yes, we want to build in as much customization as possible. Yes, we want to build in as much flexibility as possible, but also we want to design a system that is usable. At the end of the day, somebody is using this and it's not the integrator, it's the homeowner. So mm -hmm. the more usable and the more um, um, easy and intuitive, uh, some of the things we've learned from Apple and some of the other manufacturers, to build intuitive products that you don't even have to read a manual, you just sense how to use it. The more we do these kinds of things, then I think we'll see uh, um, you know, a new era of growth in the industry. Um, it's tough, you know. I mean, basically, our systems are built by engineers, and engineers, and I have a lot of engineers who are friends, they're not really good at the people side of the equation. Um, mm. So there's a whole specialty for a user uh, interface designers who that's their specialty, how to, um, you know, accommodate uh, the human being that's trying to access uh, these features. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thank you for that compliment, because, yes, that's what we were going for. <laughs> I figured. Yeah, and I guess that would lead into... I know that we've got all these great programs and we've laid everything out so the marketing is there and it makes it easy to sell, but honestly the app being as easy and intuitive as it was, was step one. These guys, Fulton, this is not their first time with an AV company. I think we're their third or fourth that they've actually tried. And they basically were ready to give up. And so presenting them the user interface that we had and showing them how you can tap and hold and the little icons jiggle and you can move them around and make folders and delete things and add things just like you do your phone, the, the, the executives looked at that and said, I get this. I get this in 30 seconds. I get this. My customers will get this in 30 seconds. I'm willing to try this one more time. Yeah. It's, you know, really one of the reasons why I spend a lot of time on Kickstarter and Indiegogo because there's a the, there's a whole new uh, wave of kind of garage tinkerer that is is playing at um, new ways and uh, there's a lot of innovation in easier user interface so there's a lot of interest in that era uh, that area and I think that's really good for our industry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, uh, last story here, and I'll let you guys get out of here. Um, and I'll be the first to say I'm not smart enough for this story. That's why Ted's here. Uh, so uh, I'm just going uh -oh, to. Oh, we're, we're in trouble. Ted and Ted and Ben and, and Dilly and I are just going to sit back and let them yammer for a second. All right. So here's the deal with Sharp, right? Sharp has two or three proposals on the table. One is from basically the not basically the Japanese government or a Japanese government backed company called Innovation Network Corp. Um, the other one is Foxconn. Foxconn is Hanhai Precision Industry Company or Corporation rather also known as Foxconn. Foxconn, you know them, you love them as the maker of your iPhone. So as of right now, and, and this is this story uh, from JapaneseTimes.co uh, was actually posted yesterday, um, the, the head of Foxconn actually flew over to Japan to try to help this deal out. The folks at Sharp are leaning more towards Foxconn. From my understanding, and Ted's going to correct me because I'm probably going to be wrong, this is almost a, 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 a not this is not something you do in Japanese culture. When the government says we want to help you, even though it's less money, um, you still take it and they're not. So Ted, how significant, first of all, is this I guess disillusion of, of sharp in general uh, for, as, a, as an industry leader? And then how significant is this this seemingly uh, decision by the, the sharp board to go with Foxconn? 
Well, it's, I mean, I mean, this is a this is a stunning series of developments. Um, you know, Sharp was the virtual inventor of the flat panel TV, uh, the virtual inventor of LCD technology. Um, certainly, the leader in that area for a couple of decades. Huge company, uh, made some mistakes, got into trouble. Some of this was not there. You know, some of this was industry wide. Um, all of the Japanese manufacturers are stumbling to some degree or another. Um, and, uh, and, and so they, um, a few years ago, they cut a deal with Han High Precision Foxconn, Terry Gao, uh, to share the costs of their largest, they had built this largest fourth generation factory uh, in Japan. It's a, it's a thing of wonder, um, but unfortunately they built it and put a lot of money in building it just as the market began to turn down. So they partnered with Terry Gao who needed access to display panels because Foxconn is the largest manufacturer of Apple products and Apple products use a lot of LCD panels. So he needed access to that. So he partnered with them. As part of that deal, Terry Gott was going to buy 10% or just under 10% of Sharp Corp, the whole company, not just the factory, but the whole company. During the negotiations for that, stock, uh, sh their share price dropped, Sharp share price dropped dramatically. And he said, well, you know, it's worth less now. I'm not going to pay what I, we were talking about. And it fell apart. And it was very acrimonious, some very personal mudslinging uh, between him and Sharp management. And it, it completely fell apart. Then Sharp fell on hard times. Their bank got involved, gave them a huge bailout package, but, but, but put a lot of conditions on this and really wanted to drive some kind of a buyout. And there's now three different bidders. Japan Display, which is a large LCD manufacturer in Japan that is their biggest competitor. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, uh, there's uh, the uh, Inc. Innovation Network uh, Corp. of Japan, which is a Japanese government-backed uh, um, arrangement. And then there's Foxconn, are all bidding for uh, to buy the company, to buy Sharp the company. And um, everybody thought that um, Inc. J., uh, Innovation Network Corporation of Japan, um, had it in the bag because this is a government-backed initiative. The government is uh, saying in a kind of a nationalistic way that they don't want um, some of Sharp's proprietary technology. They have a display technology called uh, 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 oh, no, I just <laughs> I just forgot the name of it. It's a strange acronym. Um, but they have a display technology and they have a manufacturing technology that um, the Japanese government is saying we don't want this falling into foreign hands meaning Terry Gao's hands, yeah. and uh, put some pressure on them. And uh, like I, uh, you know, I've often said, and I've certainly written about it, in Japan, the government's very tight with, the, with companies. And so it seemed like the fix was in. In fact, they were so confident that they offered half, Inc. J offered half of what Foxconn was offering. And mm -hmm. yet, despite the bad blood between uh, Sharp Management and Terry Gao, um, they're leaning that direction. Some of that is coming from the banks who are also turning their back on the government and going, hey, this is, you know, this Foxconn is a better deal. It's more money. He's going to keep the company together. And yet everybody in Japan is completely shocked that Sharp Management is turning their back on the government and and favoring um, Terry Gao and Foxconn. And uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big story. It's, it's going to change the landscape of uh, display manufacturers in this country. Yeah, absolutely. And we're recording this on Monday, the, the 22nd. 
uh, according to that story, Thursday or Friday of this week is, is when uh, they're going to make some sort of decision. Then, from from your standpoint, and and you 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 have a, a unique one now as as being the head of, of Cedia. Sharp is a is a is a is an exhibitor, right? Um, not only mm-hmm. at, at Cedia but also at, at ISC, uh, which we just got back from. Cedia is half owner of that. What what is this going to do? Um, depending on on how this all shakes out, right? Ted's right. Uh, 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 the uh, innovation. Uh, Corp is is going to split up sharp. If if Boxcon gets a hold of it, they'll they'll, they'll keep it together. But from right. an industry standpoint, what is this going to do to, to sharp uh, from from our standpoint? You know, it can make it disappear, oh, yeah. and, and we don't want to lose a, a brand. So uh, you know, I'm I'm for one in favor of uh, keeping the technology moving forward, and uh, and sharp is a you know it's it's a nice name in our in our industry. They're well recognized at at both our shows. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, that is going to wrap us up here today. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us, and thank you for watching and listening. Miss Delia Hanson, thank you, ma'am. Thank you. How can people find you and or Claire Controls? Well, we've got ClaireControls.com, and then I'm Delia underscore Hanson. That's my Twitter handle, yeah. so you can meet me. Uh-huh. And she has a very, uh, very cool little cartoon character. I need to find out how she, she <laughs> actually that. looks just like this. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fairly accurate actually yeah. uh, uh, the only the only bad part about Delia is that she's a Packers fan so <clears throat> uh-huh. I say that as a uh-huh. well inspired Packers <laughs> fan so uh, also thank you so much Mr. Ted Green uh, yeah you can follow me I'm at Ted Green on Twitter I'm Ted Green on Facebook or you can go to strategy.com s-t-r-a-t-a hyphen g-e-e.com uh, that's my home on the web, and uh, I'm all over the place. Yeah, that, that's typically where I get most of my breaking news. I've sent him more than one message up to stop breaking news because I can't fix it. <laughs> uh, last but not least, Mr. Ven Bruno, thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. Uh, you're very welcome. Happy to be here. Thank you. And how can people find you and or Cedia? Oh, please come see us at cedia.org, and uh, let me shamelessly plug, plug uh, our business exchange coming up in May. Uh, where our topic for uh, executives are how to find and retain talent. Oh, very good. And where is that? Uh, it's in San Diego. San Diego. Very good. Beautiful sound. San Diego. Hard to trust somebody whose uh, office is so clean. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah, only... Tim, I, I feel a real connection with you, Tim. I was going to say, yeah, mine's, <laughs> mine's getting there. Yeah, my, it's not quite to your level. I don't have a, I don't have a Tasmanian devil like Ted does. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I used to have an animal somewhere. I can't find him. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me, uh, but go by the website if you would please. Avnation.tv, Avnation.tv. An awful lot of folks put an awful lot of hard work into it. I just tell them it looks pretty. Um, you will find this program and a host of others. Uh, we've got our weekly. Uh, pro and, and commercial show called AV Week, which is this, only it's, it's more for, for professional uh, commercial um, products. Uh, we've also got a, mon- a bunch of monthlies, if I can talk to this afternoon. Um, everything from education to marketing and, and social media. So check them out, avnation.tv. avnation.tv. That's all the time we have for Resi Week.